Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Taro, and today on the podcast, Scott and I are joined by Cody Matchett. And Cody is a teacher, writer, and pastor from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He's also a PhD student in New Testament studying Paul and character in the Greco-Roman world. And he lives in the Beltline of Calgary with his wife, Brianna, who is a counseling therapist, his daughter, Althea Theodora, and his son, Atticus Ignatius. And Cody, I love those names. I love, I love everything about them. But we are so delighted to have you as a guest on the podcast. And we have some exciting news for our listeners. So Scott, I'll let you explain why the three of us are chatting today. It is really nice that Cody has come in from the snowy outdoors of Calgary. I heard he was wearing snowshoes today to get from his car to his... <laughs> That's how it works. I saw the other day that it was 90 degrees or something in Calgary. Or mm-hmm. It was really hot up there, and it was cold down here. But Cody is going to, not only is Cody a graduate of Northern Seminary, and not only has he worked with us along with Laura as a graduate assistant, but Cody is going to take the baton from the one and only incomparable Laura Tarot <laughs> as the chief of the podcast, of Kingdom Roots Podcast. So Cody and I will be uh, chattering away with one another, all because of of the path that Laura Tarot has paved for us. (laughs) So Cody, we're welcome. Uh, We want to welcome you. And um, I just want you to know, I haven't a clue how all this operates. So, (laughs) and I literally... Get on my computer, and Laura takes over, and that's that's how it works. And then she, then what she does is she sends it to cyberspace, and somebody out there figures out how to turn it into a podcast. So that's all I know. (laughs) We're so thankful for those people. (laughs) Indeed. Well, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm sure when people just found out now that you're leaving, Laura, many tears are being shed as people are doing whatever they're doing out there. Their headphones in. Well, I have been counting down because we are 10 days away from graduation from Northern Seminary, which is super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Laura is um, planting a church, and I'm reading a book about this right now. And every time I read, every page I read, I think of, well, Laura Tarot's going mm-hmm. through this right now. But but uh, mostly, Laura's been fantastic on this. She's mm-hmm. very organized, intelligent, and all that stuff. But um, she loves the church. She loves theological education. She loves seminary. She, I think you got two degrees. Is that right? I do. This is my second seminary degree. Yes. And believe me, I would keep going if I thought I could. But at some point, you got to get to work. So I'd be in school forever <laughs> if I could get away with it. Yeah. And uh, so, so I, you know, we just want to say thanks to you publicly, Laura, for all your good work and for your organization putting up with me when I'm doing too many other podcasts. I was just telling, telling these two that I've done 181 podcasts on Tove and 41 on Revelation. And that's not the ones that we've, where we've talked about this subject on our own. A podcast. So yeah. um, 
And Cody is working on the pastoral epistles. And uh, I have a commentary on the pastoral epistles coming out from Cambridge University Press called the New Cambridge Bible Commentary, I believe. And um, I was hoping that the publisher would forget this. Uh, but I got a letter. <laughs> I got a letter last week or mo- I don't know. Maybe it was Monday. Was it a letter or an email? I just want to clarify. It was, well, an email, yeah. <laughs> okay, just I'm just That's curious if it was an actual letter. Right. Yeah, it came. The, the guy was had taken off his snowshoes. Uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> but it, but um, they asked. They wanted to know when the scripture index was going to be done. So I said, well, I'm hoping it'll be in next week. I had no idea. Yeah. I've done this before, you know, it was a long time ago, and I've had graduate assistants and over the years do these, and I've even paid at times. I, I've heard it costs like $75 an hour to pay someone to do this. Yeah. So I'm doing it, and um, the only word, uh, here's, here, I would put it two ways. The first is this, when I imagine hell, it would be someone, <laughs> someone indexing <laughs> academic books eternally. Oh, that's hilarious! Well, and, and not yeah. even topics or names; it's just numbers, <laughs> and it's, it's 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 not even exciting. And then uh, the other thing is, it's so mind-numbing. And uh, I'm standing at my computer working on this. Like about a half hour later, I think I think I need a break. And then I work about 15 minutes. And I think I need a break. And, <laughs> I'm walking up and down the stairs all the time just to to relieve the anxiety. But it's been fun to work on the pastorals. I worked on it with Justin Gill. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, then Cody got interested in it with uh, Theophrastus and character formation with Aristotle and the and his student, Theophrastus. So there's been, a, for me, a, a bit of a sidelight of fun and joy about it is to see is to work on this with others. Mm-hmm. And Cody's, you've read quite a bit of this, I think. Uh, I know Laura has too, because both of you've looked for errors in the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Different points, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so that's been part of what we've been doing lately. Mm-hmm. And Cody, uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing with um, with your PhD. You're working with uh, at Ridley College in, is it Melbourne? It is in Melbourne, yeah. I think they say something like Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne, And um, tell us a little bit about what you're you're working on. I think it's kind of exciting. Myself. Yeah, I'm at Melbourne uh, with Mike Bird and Brian Rosner. Those are my supervisors there. And I'm trying to think about a few different streams of things at the same time. One being how did people's, in the time of the New Testament, in the Greco-Roman world, how did they conceptualize character? How did they think character was formed? What did they think character was? So in other words, I'm thinking about how they, they think moral formation happens. And then the way that that gets, we could say, typified or put into rhetoric by the apostle. And in order to see character formed or to call out deformed character or to expose issues within the community. And so... That's the the heartbeat of it right now. Where it started, uh, if people are at all interested, is Scott was working on the pastorals, as he mentioned, and he, he came across this great treatise. Okay, Theophrastus is the name. Uh, it's called The Characters, or Ethical Characters in Greek, Ethikoi Character. And, 
And what Theophrastus does is he does these 30 character sketches that are gut-wrenchingly funny, uh, where it, you get this window into what it was like to live in Athens. And so he would do these little sketches in between maybe delivering a sort of lecture on something. He would do these funny sketches. And so the point of the sketches is to, to show you what, what you shouldn't be like. That's probably the easiest way to put it, you know? And it's funny and you get the country bumpkin or you get the chatterbox, you know, you get Theophrastus talking about the dissembler or the, the superstitious. And so it, it becomes this sort of little window uh, where Theophrastus is trying to, trying to teach on character. And so that was, Scott came across this idea. He, he passed it over to me and now I've just been running with it a little bit, not just with Theophrastus, but thinking about how ancients think about character and how then Paul in, in that context that he's in, as he's trying to see moral formation occur in these communities, in particular for me, First Timothy, so Ephesus, uh, how does he write about it? So that's kind of what I'm working on. That's the heartbeat of it. You know, um, it, here's how it came up to me, is I'm, I'm reading on the uh, so-called, it's sort of like a virtue list of some level, mm-hmm. on the bishops and, and deacons in both, First Timothy and in Titus, and I'm reading all the academic commentaries, and I'm reading the best ones. Justin was reading some of the others that I had looked <laughs> through in a, in a different way. Some of the worst ones. Uh, I like well, that. no, he was reading. He, you know, I had already read Phil Towner's commentary, yeah, uh, so he 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 read he read that, and I I think he loved it, um, and and I thought to myself, why does no one talk about Theophrastus. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Howard Marshall, who cites everything. He's he's read everything, or he did, and all the textual evidence. And I looked at these other commentaries, people like Luke Timothy Johnson, others have written on this stuff, but none of them talk about Theophrastus. Mm. And I thought, there's something here. Theophrastus takes a character and kind of tells funny things about him. But in the end, He's trying to build um, ethical and moral character. Virtue <clears throat> is the uh, is the standard word. He wants people to be virtuous, and the way to teach it is to sort of shame shame uh, right. knuckleheads. Yeah, and um, and I thought, why does nobody? Maybe Paul's lists here are really about character formation. Mm. And, I, you know, maybe Paul needed to write little chapters. Well, Cody, I was just thinking of this the other day. I bet you haven't heard of this one. There is a really funny book. I think the author's name is Everett Koopman. Everett Koopman. And it's called The Art of Ecclesiastical Birdwatching. <laughs> I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> okay. Now, this is an old book. I think it's maybe maybe it was Regal books, like you know. But it it's it's sort of like Theophrastus, and you know, there's a popular version of Theophrastus that really makes it kind of fun. It's a it's a cartoonish little type book. Well, that's what Koopman does. But what he does is make fun of people in the church, and he uses bird images like the uh, 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 bronze headed warbler in the choir. <laughs> This is and fantastic. It is. it is really funny because when you're reading them, you're going, you know, I remember some in my church. It was sort of like this. And uh, so it's, uh, but it's, it's humor. Uh, if, if you can find a copy, it's really worth reading yeah. just for the fun of it, just because you're into Theophrastus's characters. 
But um, yeah, the thing I've also found fascinating, the more I've gotten into the literature on the pastoral epistles is people will point to character, the best scholars, you know, Mounts, Johnson, Towner, Marshall, they'll point to character, they never define what they mean by the word. I know, I ever know. once, no yeah. one, and I mean, no one defines what they mean by the word. And then beyond that, they'll all say this thing that's really gotten under my skin, which is they'll say, they're doing the same thing that would happen with the moral philosophers of the day, but then they cite no sources. Yeah. So yeah. the claim has become normalized. This is what mm. moral philosophers do. They, they make a list and the list is supposed to point to something beyond the list, but then they don't, they don't cite anything. And there are things, some of them do here and there, but, but not extensively. And so it's become one of those things that I've, I've been thinking about more and more. What do they mean by this word character? And these lists, and this is what's been interesting to me lately, Scott, I emailed you about this recently, which is the list itself is a, it has to point beyond itself. Because one of the things I'm realizing even about character is to do, to acquire one trait does not mean you have good character. And to do something virtuous in any given moment doesn't make you virtuous, right? You have to start to do the virtues virtuously. And so they become this thing that points to something beyond itself, mm. almost like a, I've been thinking about this idea of a, of a fictive representative or a fictive model. If you have Paul and Timothy who are figures in the community as they move on, and in, in that time, it's all about people, right? Lives of people that you want to emulate. Then you set up this sort of silhouette of the kind of person that you would want to come later who people could emulate. Hmm. And then someone sort of fills that silhouette. I think that's at least part of the goal of what's happening there. But it's been well, to me, and that, and that, this is what's going on in those lists in Paul. Uh, some of these things, you know, if you're going to be a bishop or an elder, uh, and there's debate on on these two terms if they're distinguishable or that distinguishable, um, you're going to have to do a little bit of teaching. Okay, mm -hmm. there, there's a little bit of that involved, but. Um, what is noticeable to me is that is that Titus and Timothy don't have the same things. It's not like Paul had a magical list. Mm -hmm. So he's thinking of these are the sorts of things that show up in the kind of person we're looking for. That's right. Is that fair? That's 100% on point. That's character. And yeah. I... I use the word tov. You did. For, yeah. I, uh, quite often in the commentary is that these are people of tov character. Hmm. Uh, they are virtuous. And um, this is where, to me, the church, and Laura, you, you chime in here, because as a church planner, you have to do these sort of things, although <laughs> some of this stuff may already be set out for you almost like in a template. Just copy mm -hmm. this and put it in your bylaws. Uh, when we... And we just did this in our church. Uh, we have vestry members, which are is not the same thing as a deacon and is not the same thing as an elder. But there is a tendency for people to go to the elder list in First Timothy chapter three and say, "There you go. This is what we." Well, no, vestry members aren't that. But um, it it irritates me when people go to that list and then say they come up, they combine it with Titus. And then maybe a couple other verses from First Peter or something. And then they say, this is what we're looking for in a person. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. like a checklist. And mm -hmm. Yes, and you think, no, that's not, that's not the no. point. It's more uh, of a duty the, at that point. It's not about it, character. It's about duties. Yeah. Do you, you, can you check it off the list? So I yeah. wonder, Laura, at your church, um, I guess you get to choose the first elders. <laughs> 
yeah, which <laughs> feels level. really strange. Yeah, but you do. Yeah, yeah you and um, do you are you working on? Um, do, did you did the Covenant Church give you a list of? So no, so I would say there there are. Um, no, there's not like a prescribed list. Like I think the covenant would say that's what scripture is for is to help you discern what makes a quality person on your leadership team. Um, but also one of the interesting things about a church plant, particularly um, in our mix of people that have either been a part of it. We have like uh, dual groups in our church. Like we have people who have been believers for a long time who are very familiar with church structure. And then we have a pocket of people that for the most part are brand new to church life and really don't understand how churches function, which is a beautiful thing in a lot of ways. And it's really interesting to listen to these two groups talk to each other um, about what what church should be. So I would say so far on our leadership team, what we have are people that come from more of a mature background um, that understand how churches function. And because in our tradition, we're congregational polity, which means that the leadership team really does have the majority of say about how we function. Um, So my job is to encourage them and to teach them, um, but they're the decision makers by and large. So yeah, so it'll be interesting to see over time how that progresses and how these groups work together. I mean, is it is it sort of you discern this is a person who would really work as a leader in this church? I, I would like to have this person on the team for yeah. wisdom. And yep. see, I think wisdom, mature character, theological discernment, I think these are the sorts of uh, character traits. Mm-hmm. But but overall, you want someone to be Tove or Christ-like or like Mister Rogers, uh, you know. Some you you want you want character in the person, yeah. so that uh, they can be trusted with leadership, but also they can guide others. So, yep. And I think yeah. part of it too is can they ask good questions? This is <laughs> this is one of the things I personally look for. Like, do they are they creative and and they do they think outside the box are they able to both see where we're headed and then ask me good questions and challenge one another to think differently or or to think openly about how to get from here to there um yeah so it's 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 fun to be part of that conversation as a pastor it's a big relief to know that i it makes me feel like i'm not alone like there's a community who owns what, where we're going and we're working together to get there so, so Laura, the question for me, for you, is uh, you're going to be done writing papers. You're going to be done going to seminary, going yes. to classes. Uh, you're going to be done going, uh, spending hours and hours and hours every day working on these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, how much time do you think? you're going to be having that you've not had oh my for gosh. your church. I, you thought, I mean, Oh yeah. I've thought about that. I think in some ways I'm really looking forward to it because it will be a, um, a singular focus as opposed to right now, I've got a lot of different things that I'm trying to give attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to being able to just focus on the development of the church. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping to develop some hobbies. Oh my goodness. Like 
I like, I've been going to like for, for my ordination process, they keep talking to me about self care because they're really invested in protecting pastors. And I'm like, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when I can like develop some practices in that area. Yeah. That's excellent. (laughs) That's good. I thought Cody was going to ask a question here. (laughs) No. Okay. Well, um, Laura, we did not uh, work on a book together. No. Uh, no. We've done the and, podcast and you, together. We've done the podcast. <laughs> Cody Cody was was uh, gung-ho on Revelation when I started, and the next thing I knew, I thought, holy mackerel, he knows stuff about this that I need to tap into. And so he got into uh, reading some of, the, some of the great stuff on Revelation. So when we started to work together, um, it turned into a— um, co-produced mm-hmm. volume, and uh, but it started with lectures. Uh, I was working on the lectures, and I'd give him some ideas, and then he'd start reading, and he'd say, "What about this?" And I think that's a really good idea. And uh, so then you lectured a little bit, and then it came together. But you had um, a pretty interesting book idea, Laura, that you passed on to me <laughs> not too long ago, and I thought. Does Laura want to write this book, or is she saying if I want to write this book? And I thought, right now, I need, I like that. Needs is she saying if I want to write this book? Yeah. <laughs> this is too many things for me right now. Writing that could be doing that. What? Okay, what was it? So I've had this idea for a while that there are terms in the Christian life that. Um, pop up in churches all the time. And then I've been in academic circles where we use the same terms, but then we're constantly redefining them. So think about when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the kingdom, um, there's any number of these terms that we throw around. And I thought, goodness, some of these conversations that we're having in seminary around these ideas need to trickle down into the church but need to be taught in the church in a way that someone who hasn't grown up in the church could immediately understand what we're talking about. What does it mean to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus? So I was thinking it would be really fun almost to do like dictionary articles, but in a really winsome, fun sort of way, like a primer on here are all these terms that you need to know. And also just to give a place for people to think about the words that we use, especially for people who've been in church their entire lives, who think they know what they mean when they use these words. Um, I think it could be a great place as a discipleship tool to say, what is scripture actually saying with these words? And then how do we put them into practice in our church in a way that actually reflects some of these just rich ideas? So that's my, that's my idea. Scott, you can write so the like, foreword. <laughs> so I like, like 25 words, but you know what it could be as well? It could be like a, a primer on Christian theology. Yeah. Right. Of course. And, and at the same time, a primer on, let's say the, uh, the Bible's most important words. When uh, when I started teaching college students, I was stunned. I was teaching at a covenant school, Laura. Um, I was stunned by how little the students knew about the Bible. Right. So I came up with what I called hot chapters. <laughs> Fifty hot chapters in the Bible that you sort you got to know. You got to know what they're in these to. To be able to function in the Bible, you got to know what Deuteronomy twenty-eight is. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, it's it's a representative of all these passages. Yeah. Isaiah fifty-three, because people will flick 
uh, Bible passages around. Daniel 7, you know, yep. Mark chapter 12, you know, Mark 13. Um, and so I came up with hot chapters. So your idea could be almost like uh, hot words yes. in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, 50 hot, I don't know if you need 50, but 25. And But it could be at the same time an introduction to how to read the Bible well, because you've yeah. got all the major major words in play, but also Christian theology. So I think it's a really good idea. I yeah. mean, getting publishers on, you know, I'm, I'm asked about this quite a bit, maybe twice a week uh, by people emailing me. Publishers uh, don't first think, is this a really good idea for a book? Their instinct today is, who knows this person? Right. How big is this person's platform? And um, I know one of our one of our co one of your co students uh, was told that she needed at least two thousand Twitter followers to wow. be considered, or something like that. And I thought, really, that's how they measure whether you have a platform two thousand. Twitter followers, right? Well, I should. They should publish everything I write because I got uh, fifty six thousand. I thought I mean, they did publish everything you write. Isn't that how that works? <laughs> I have a lot of things that haven't been published. That's a joke. Um, uh, but um, I think it's a really good idea mm. myself. I, mm. I really like the idea, and and I think I think because now that you're not in seminary, and and you're not doing all spending all your week doing podcasts with you, yes. that you're going to have all this time to start working on some of these major words. And it's, it, you know, you have the creativity and the writing skills and the pastoral presence to say something about kingdom that mm. doesn't sound academic, but still remains accurate for the church. So I, yeah. I think it's a really good idea. Well, thanks. And I'll, t- I'll tell you what. We'll put you on the podcast if you do this. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> I promise you we'll do at least two podcasts on on the hot words of the Bible. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I've been I, reading, yeah. I've been reading Josephus lately, The Ooh. Jewish War. And I am, uh, I have three translations. I'm, I'm reading book two right now. Uh, it's it's really a critical book in in the in the war of the Jews with the Romans in in Jerusalem. Um, book two has three major translations. One is the Old Loeb Classical Library. Well, there's four translations. Okay, the Loeb Classical Library uh, is by um, oh, all of a sudden the name just slipped out of my mind. Thackeray. It drives me nuts. Uh, and I was telling Cody about this. Every now and then he uses the word character. He'll translate with the word character, and then I'll look it up, and it'll be it, – it's a different Greek word every time. So he doesn't <laughs> yes. have – he does. Uh, so at one time it was, it was suke. It was soul. I thought, this isn't going to work for me. Um, and then there's uh, a translation by Hammond in the uh, – I think it's the Oxford World Classics that is – a little too paraphrastic, but it's really easy to read and it's mm. fun. Mm. And then Steve Mason mm-hmm. has on a place called Pace. Uh, it's a, it was at York University in Canada. Uh, his translation 
in the Flavius Josephus works, which is, I hope it finishes during my lifetime. But right now, since there's they're no longer printing this volume that Steve wrote, it's on book two. It sells on Amazon for sixteen hundred dollars. So, but it's free on Pace <laughs> on, online. But um, as I, I've been reading this, just because I want to remind myself of Josephus, and this is a, a careful reading because I'm constantly looking at the Greek text uh, all the time with what he uh, with the translations, but to see what what words he's using is is it gives a feel for Galilee, and it gives a feel for first century uh, Jerusalem. And um, E.P. Sanders wrote his famous book, Judaism Practice and Belief, basically uh, looking at what Judaism looks like in Josephus. Hmm. And uh, this is the the closest proximity that we're going to get, other than the Dead Sea Scrolls, to first century Judaism that would have impacted Jesus and Paul. So, So I'm I'm doing some of that, but I've I've thought of, jo- of Cody many times. Every now and then, I pass on a a text from Josephus from it. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, dipping in and out of Philo and Josephus while I've mostly been reading Plutarch, but dipping in every yeah. once in a while to see what words they use. And it's it is in translation all over the place, and yeah. most of them don't quite relate to character. They mostly relate to something like habit or pattern, yeah. and that's yeah. the closest we seem to get. Um, Cody, are you uh, looking at the lives of Plutarch, Plutarch's lives? Yeah, or, uh, I mean, so I, I've been working through sections of Moralia is what I've been working on right okay, now. Okay, His lives yeah. are very important, and as and that's part of what I was trying to get at with the, you know, the overseers and the deacons earlier was that it's always about a, a the life of a person that you want to emulate, and yeah, I've just been I've just yeah. been thinking about that when you don't have a, a, or you don't know the future of who the lives will be or who the people of impact will be. That's what I was trying to get at with the, the silhouette piece of the kinds yeah. of people you'll want to follow in the future. They, their I lives need were, to look like this. I thought your term silhouette for when Paul, Timothy and Titus disappear. That was a really good image for understanding character. It's, yeah. it's uh, but most of them take virtue ethics uh, they're using virtue ethics from Aristotle. They would say that um, habits mm-hmm. form into a character, and then the character does the good thing because their their character's been formed. Something like that, right? Yeah, I've accidentally been reading, and this is the funny thing about doing PhD studies. I've accidentally been reading a lot of philosophers on character, mm. and I actually I recently read Stanley Hauerwas's published dissertation from 1975. And then a few other works on trying to get to some theologians who are talking about this. And, and character is incredibly complex. And I think sometimes when we move to habit and habit acquiring traits through habituation, that's because it's the simplest way to try to talk about it. But I think even Aristotle is far more complex than that when you get Good. down to the brass tacks of what he's doing. Yeah. Okay, would you say Jesus is a virtue ethicist in the Sermon on the Mount? I don't. You tell me, Scott. You've done more work on the Sermon on the Mount than I have. <laughs> I have an introduction. I have an introduction where I say he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know that that's okay. So I think part of what's been I've been trying to work out is that character and ethics, at least in philosophy, are not synonymous. And so, but they get thrown around in theology as though they are. Mm. And so I'm trying to dive my way through to try to scalpel some of these things apart in a way that it seems like not really anyone has yet. 
which makes it feel like walking in snow or darkness, big snowstorm. You just can't see in front of you. I don't know where this whole thing's going, but uh, I don't, I don't think they're synonymous. So I don't know if I would say that. I think Plutarch's lives uh, for Jesus generally, I mean, these, these pictures of the kind of person that you want to emulate the way Jesus is working with the Hebrew Bible. I don't think I'd call him a virtue ethicist. No, I don't think I'd call Paul one either though. Hmm. Thank you. I mean, it is it is the ruling paradigm in Christian ethics and teaching. Um, well, I, I but, talked to a scholar uh, six or eight months ago where I'd said, oh, I'm not thinking about, I, I asked, who's written on character? Can you supply me with some things? And they responded with, do you mean ethics? And that that was really telling because I was trying to say, actually, I'm I'm not, and I can't fully articulate the distinctions I'm trying to make yet, but I do think they're different. Hmm. Because I don't think what we are as humans are a bundle of traits, which is what you were saying before. You read 1 Timothy 3, it's not that it's not that the apostle's saying, get all of these traits and you'll be the kind of person who should be in this role. That's that's actually reducing what he's trying to say, I think. Because we're more yeah. than a bundle of traits. And yeah. so he would say these are symptoms of the right kind of person, right? That's exactly right. right. That's exactly yeah. what I think he's doing. Well, Laura, <laughs> what are your you majored in philosophy in college. I did. Yeah, Laura, you I tell did. me what you think about that. Okay. <laughs> August Institution of Wheaton. Let's hear what, what you oh, have to say. Oh, goodness. Well, I I'm listening. They did virtue ethic. Did you have art? You're not, you didn't have art homes. No, art homes had just retired when I started. So they were scrambling yeah. to replace him with a variety <laughs> of professors. I always wish, th- I, I think they have somewhere in the archives, they videotaped him teaching history of philosophy, the full year long seminar and have it somewhere archived. And I thought it would be fun to go back and watch that, you know, fun um, just to get his, his take on it. um, Because I'm sure it was different from the one that I got, but still fantastic. So, yeah. I once, when I was in college, uh, I really liked my philosophy teacher. His name was Ron Mayers. And he took a group of us, philosophy students, maybe a half dozen of us, to the Wheaton Philosophy Conference. Oh, yeah. And it was a whole conference on philosophical theology or theological philosophy. And I heard Art Holmes give a lecture, and I understood the first four sentences. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And after that, I went, I'm glad I'm doing Bible. Uh, I I know his voice. I mean, you just listen to him talk about anything, and he sounds intelligent. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 So, what do you think? Do Do you think about virtue ethics? Do you think about character? I I tend to think about it in terms of discipleship. I think Mm -hmm. it's it's about being formed in the image of Christ over time, and while we have a role, so this is where I think like we have a role to play in this process in terms of being receptive and attentive, but this is also the work of the Holy spirit within our lives. It's, but it's, it's a, there's, um, there's a responsiveness that we need to have and we are part of the process, but it's God's work within us to make us virtuous. Um, but also we have to practice these things. So, I think there's one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, and I'm hearing a lot in church planning circles, which is delightful, is this idea that um, we need to talk about discipleship, but we also need to practice 
discipleship. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in the process of teaching people in our churches, we need to say, now go out and do this. Here are a few different ideas of how to put these ideas into practice and then come back and report on what you've learned. Um, Because you could talk about it all day long. You could teach it all day long. You need to model it. And then you also need to develop this language around practice um, and and create a culture where you expect that people are practicing it and that they're reporting on their practices. Um, Because we've been sitting in churches for a long time where we take in all the information. um, But if we're not actively practicing these things, we're not going to be transformed. But that's also the work of God in our lives is to do the transforming. Now Now listen to this one. Okay, I wrote this two days. I don't know. I wrote this just recently. It's in the paragraph before I started this morning when I was working on. On the, I'm writing a book on Jesus and the Pharisees. Okay, so um, Jesus forms a. I call it a kingdom coalition. All right. One of the things you need for for Jesus in his strategy is resources, and one of the resources is people. Yeah. Okay, so Jesus collects people that are called by the gospel writers, mathetai, or what we would say, disciples. All right. Now, it's very interesting in the gospels that a disciple, mathetes, is the standard, is the word, okay? But what they do, or what is done to them, is not mathetuo, but akalutheo, follow. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, so I, here's the way I put it: a disciple who is a who is a learner is a student. A disciple who is an active agent of following Jesus is follower is a follower is an apprentice. Yeah. So there's the distinction between let's say a student and an apprentice. Jesus was forming apprentices. Yes. And so it's it's interesting. Now, Matetuo does occur, but it's so rare. Mm-hmm. But Akalutheo is all over the Gospels. Yeah, it's in all those call narratives. So, yeah, so he wants disciples who are the kind that follow him rather than the ones who sit at his feet and listen to him talk as a student. Yeah. And so he is not a teacher educating students. He is, let's say a Lord calling people to follow him. He's, yeah. he's that kind. So I love that. So that's, that's, this was really interesting to me. I thought, you know, I don't think I've ever seen this in the literature. Is Mathe Tes, uh, disciple, naturally would have become the verb Mathe Tuo. Yeah, of course. But it doesn't. It becomes Akalu Utheo. And that is, that, that is not, one of these distinctions without a difference. This is a distinction with a massive difference. Mm. Well, I don't think we can taught to be um, little Christ, right? Like I I think we, there's a, there's a place for teaching, but at the end of the day, we follow, we follow God. Um, That's, that's what we're called to do. And, And it also orients us to keep the right perspective on our role and God's role, like very That's clear right. distinction. God is the one who leads. We are the ones who follow. Mm-hmm. I, I posted about this recently, but in spiritual direction, 
within the last couple of months, my spiritual director was asking me during prayer, like if God had given me an image. And I said, I've been thinking a lot lately about puppies that are learning how to walk next to their master on a leash. And I said, and it's probably because I watch a lot of puppy videos. Let's just be honest. But if you've seen this, it's a puppy, but the leash is slack. It's not tight. And the puppy stays very close to the ankle um, of their their trainer. And the puppy's eyes are always on the person leading. And I said, that's the image I have of what it means to follow God. That Because the puppy then knows how to respond. When the trainer stops, the puppy stops. When the trainer turns, the puppy turns. Because the puppy's checking in constantly. Their little eyes just keep looking up. And I thought, that's the image that I have of what God wants from us, is that we are standing, we're staying so close, and we're constantly checking in to see if we're in the right position. And so that's what I think it means to follow. Like, are we paying attention and are we staying close? Yeah. It's good. Well, this has been such a fun conversation, guys. We never know which direction we're going to go, but it's always good. So thank you. And for our listeners, this is, I think, the last time I'm signing off. So we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. And you will all be in very good hands with Cody and Scott. So thank you for allowing me to be part of this. And thank you, Laura. Thank you, Laura. Cody has big footprints to fill. (laughs) Thanks, guys.